When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. I am your host Garrett Bahanna. As always alongside me he is the fellow contributing writer over at pensburg.com and co-host of the Penscast and the Penscast Mailbag here at the Skating Penguin Network. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, I feel like I say this maybe once every couple of months when we do mailbag episodes and now where we're doing them weekly. It feels like Every couple of weeks or months or so, we, we set a new record for the the amount of mailbag questions we have. I think the current record is 16 or 17, maybe. Uh, yeah. I've lost count. But uh, this, today's mailbag, is it honestly may never be topped. I don't know if this is going to be a one-off or if we're going to get multiple mailbags with almost this amount of questions, but uh, as, as we begin this mailbag, I want everyone to know that we have 27 questions this week. Uh, that is absolutely ridiculous in the best way possible. Um, we, we have re- our regulars like Snail, Brian, Brendan. We have a couple of new faces in here as well, I do believe, asking some questions. So uh, I cannot believe we, we're here to answer 27 questions. All of them are great questions in their own right. Robbie, as always, uh, we're going to get started answering this doozy of a mailbag. Question number number one is from a new question asker, I do believe, and I do believe the name is pronounced Logan Cranky or Cranky. Uh, If I butchered that, uh, you can DM me on Twitter and tell me how badly I butchered your last name. But Logan is here with question number one. Robbie, as always, you get question number one. We'll go back and forth after that. What do you think the Penguins would have to pay Ryan Graves to get him in free agency to pair with Chris Letang on the top unit? So, Robbie, we're looking at potentially a Brian Dumoulin replacement. He's ready to potentially walk into free agency after many years with the Penguins. Could Ryan Graves be that yin to Chris Letang's yang on that top pair? So, uh, Ryan Graves just completed a three-year deal uh, that he got through arbitration. This will be his first time, assuming he doesn't sign... Uh, before free agency re-ups with uh, the New Jersey Devils, but he this will be his first time testing unrestricted free agency. And uh, last season, and well, this contract, he made uh, $3.16 million against the salary cap. 
And uh, you have to think that's your starting point, and you're going up from there. Uh, he's 28 years old, so uh, he's a little bit older uh, than when uh, Brian Dumoulin signed that deal. So it'll be interesting uh, to see if this is something the Penguins pursue, but I think you're at least looking at uh, obviously multiple years, I think. I think you're looking at at least three-year deal uh, if you want him in Pittsburgh and north of $3.5 million. I would not be surprised if he gets into that $4 million range like Brian Dumoulin was. So, yeah, be prepared for that if that's a, a target for the Penguins. Uh, multi-year deal north of three point five, north of $4 million, uh, against the cap hit, I think, um, is where we're sitting with a guy like uh, Ryan Graves if the Penguins are to uh, pursue him and uh, make him the new uh, uh, Brian Dumoulin next to Chris Letang. Uh, question number two, uh, very familiar question uh, question asker here, and this is Brian. Uh, it's crazy to me that fans want John Gibson as the team's goalie. If he wasn't from Pittsburgh, his name would never come up. With his recent play and expensive contract, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. I largely agree with Brian here. I, I think it would be a fun story only for like the first 48 hours if John Gibson was traded to Pittsburgh after he made his intentions clear that he wants a change of scenery and out of the Anaheim Ducks organization. But Brian is right. Uh, John Gibson, yeah, he's from Pittsburgh, but John Gibson really hasn't had a good-ish season since 2018-2019. That is quite a few seasons, uh, quite a few seasons ago. So 2018-19 was uh, what I would consider, like I said, his best, his last good season. 26 wins, 22 losses, eight uh, overtime or shootout losses, had a 917 save percentage and a 2.84 goals against. Since then, he's played four consecutive seasons after that 2018-19 season with Anaheim. And I know John Gibson has been on some terrible Anaheim Ducks teams. So I I'm sure these statistics are uh, as much as a reflection uh, of Gibson's poor play as they are the, the poor play in front of him. But in 2019-2020, he only had 20 wins, 26 losses, which is a career high, five uh, shootout or overtime losses. He had a 904 save percentage and a three um, a 3.00 goals against average. A year later, he finished with nine wins, 19 losses, and seven overtime or shootout losses, a 903 save percentage, and a 2.98 goals against average. 2021-22, 18 wins, 26 losses, 11 shootout or overtime losses, 904 save percentage, 319 goals against average. This past season, 14 wins, 31 losses, which eclipses the 26 mark that he set in 2019, the 2019-20 season. 31 losses, 8 overtime shootout losses, gave up 200 goals against. That is an 899 save percentage and a 3.99 goals against average. So the argument here is that Perhaps John Gibson's best days are behind him. Uh, he's entering his age 30 season. And like Brian said, if he wasn't from Pittsburgh, the, the Penguins and their fan base would not be wasting so much time clamoring for a change in net and clamoring for John Gibson. But these recent statistics do not paint an overly impressive picture for me. I would not be I would not be one to take on that expensive contract, as, as Brian already mentioned. 
I think the Penguins would be best suited going after a player like UC Soros or Connor Hellebuck or even potentially re-signing Tristan Jari, which I'm sure we will talk about in a future question here. But yeah, I, I would stay away from John Gibson and let some other team be on the hook for his contract and perhaps declining play. Question number three comes from Brendan. And here we go, talking about UC Soros and Connor Hellebuck. Robbie, looking at the potential, the top goaltenders in UC Soros and Nashville, Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg, what do you think the return will be for Soros or and or Hellebuck in a trade? And since we're primarily a Penguins podcast here, we'll, we'll keep it in the lens of the Penguins and what they could offer either Nashville or Hellebuck for a trade. So, Robbie... Uh, put your trade hat on. What do you think these organizations are going to get for these top goaltenders? I think at the very least, you're looking at uh, the first round pick uh, this year, obviously, is probably going to be um, the top bargaining piece there. And then depending on, I mean, again, these it's very hard to trade for a top tier goaltender. Uh, these kind of trades do not happen very often, and for good reason. Uh, so, you might even be looking at you're going to look at multiple picks. Do they ask for the a, a first in 2024? I don't know. Maybe they can get away with asking for like a second in 2024. Um, probably going to be prospects involved, which we obviously know the Penguins are not exactly uh, deep at. I mean, you have a guy like Pickering. Uh, that's there. You do have um, Joel Blomquist, who uh, would be a pr- goaltending prospect going back that that team can develop. So, I mean, you're at least looking at, at multiple picks, at least this year's first rounder from the Penguins. At two prospects, depending on what exactly uh, you can work out there. I don't see because. Winnipeg is going to be going into basically a rebuild. I think Nashville, you might need to part with an NHL-ready player or a player that's already in the NHL, whereas Winnipeg, maybe you can sub out uh, an NHL-ready player for a few more prospects. So um, I think they'll be more looking for uh, the, the the future and Winnipeg, whereas um, with the hiring of Andrew Burnett, I think that Nashville is going to be maybe a mini rebuild, but they're going to want pieces that can help them compete sooner rather than later. And as kind of a side note to this, and I saw it brought up on Twitter with Andrew Burnett uh, coming into the fold there in Nashville. I don't know how much of a seller uh, the Predators are going to be uh, now, especially in terms of an elite goaltender like UC Saros, because I think they could, even if it takes one more season, they could be right back in contention with a guy like Brunette uh, running the show uh, with Barry Trotz um, up in the booth. So I, I really think Saros might be off the table. And if we're looking at Hellebook, I think you're looking for uh, future considera- heavy future considerations going uh, to Winnipeg, at least this year's first-round draft pick, uh, and uh, probably another pick from this year's draft as well as something from next year's draft. And there's going to be prospects in that conversation as well. Uh, question number four uh, from Brian. Uh, what's one skill that you always wanted to learn? Carpentry has always had my interest, but the emo kid me always wanted to learn uh, the guitar, the bass, or the drums. 
Yeah, I agree with Brian in that I always wanted to learn guitar slash bass, one of the two. Um, I don't know. It's never really, it's never really something that I actively pursued. I mean, it's something that I guess I could always get into. Um, my brother-in-law is a self-taught guitar player, and I asked him a few times. I said, "Teach me what you know. Teach me how to play guitar." And he basically goes, "I, I can't really." I can't really teach you because I was never really taught myself, if that makes sense. He kind of learned by himself. No one else really taught him, and that's how he kind of learned to play the guitar. So I guess I could become self-taught in that regard as well. But, yeah, learning an instrument like that, guitar slash bass, was always interesting to me. I don't know. Other than that, uh, I don't really have too many like too many things off the top of my head that I could think of and say I've always wanted to do that um so yeah I guess I'd go with the cliche answer and say uh learn an instrument and um I guess yeah maybe I'll stick with that learn guitar slash bass Robbie this is an interesting question that I don't know if you have context <laughs> to because I yeah I do certainly I the question yeah all right. So question number five comes from Brian and Brian or yeah, Brian wants to know from you, Robbie, can we be let into the hot beer inside joke? Yeah. So over, uh, what day was it? It was Friday, Saturday, sometime like that. There was a tweet going around being like, what is a Twitter inside joke or social media inside joke that you're a part of? And my tweet was just hot beer. So if you are a Penn state fan, you may be on Penn State Twitter, especially Penn State football. And it started a few years ago with a pretty unhinged Penn State, in a good way, unhinged in a good way. Um, uh, minor social media um, kind of name uh, out there. Um, and very popular in Penn State circles. And what he did was kind of one football game, sat one football Saturday, he videoed himself cracking open a cold one and pouring it into a pan and then placing that pan like a saucepan on the stove and turning on the stove uh, and warming up his beer. And ever since then, it's been kind of come a meme within Penn State circles where football Saturdays, we, we throw some beer um, on the stove or on the grill and it just, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of an inside joke between Penn State fans, and that one came right to my head when I saw the the Twitter prompt. And, um, yeah, it's if you're on Penn State Twitter, you may have seen it uh, before, and it's just kind of a funny thing that Penn State started and kind of stuck with them. Uh, so, and it's kind of in if you're a diehard football fa- college football fan, but not specifically Penn State. Uh, some of the national college football media has kind of um, is kind of in on the joke, and yeah, it's just a good time. It's just a, a funny thing that Penn State fans do. I'm sure all college fan bases pretty much have weird stuff, weird traditions they do on game days. But that's what the uh, the joke was. It was it's just a a funny little thing that we do on um, on on game days. We'll uh, several personalities will tweet videos of them doing warming up their beer in various uh we're on the grill uh in a pot of boiling water um over an open fire it's yeah it's i mean it's all in good fun nobody's getting hurt so that's kind of what the inside joke is there so uh, a little pull back the curtain there for uh, for you a little bit um 
uh, on what uh, my Penn State side kind of looks like. Uh, question number six. Again, we got Brian here. Uh, of all the team and indo- individual awards, Sidney Crosby has won. Do you think when he looks at his trophy room, he'll feel like uh, the one award he missed out on is the Selkie if he never wins it? As this, as his game has evolved, you can see him put an emphasis on on being a complete 200-foot player. Agreed. Uh, as he's matured and become a better NHL player, his game, like Brian mentions, has evolved and more of an emphasis has been placed on his defense to whereas maybe when he was 18, 19 years old, that really wasn't the case. But here's the thing. I don't think, first off, I don't think Sidney Crosby's going to shed a tear about not winning the Selkie. Uh, because the, the con smites, the Stanley Cups, uh, the the Art Rosses, all of that, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine looking at his mantle and seeing all of the awards that he has won throughout his career. Because at this point, I don't think he is going to win the Selkie. But look at, I was looking at who he was competing against, and largely that award has been won players for the better part of a decade, and it's been Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins. As a matter of fact, Bergeron, I did not know this, has won the Selkie Trophy five times throughout his career. He's the only player since the award uh, came into existence that has won the trophy five times. So it's it's uh, demonstrated for given to the most given to the player the forward who generates the most skill in the defensive component of the game. And Patrice Bergeron is always in that conversation, and rightfully so, because he's won that award five times. So I don't know if Crosby was ever going to outdo Bergeron in that regard, considering he's already a five-time Selkie Award winner. But uh, I, I, I look at Crosby's game now as he's going to be entering his age 36 season and seeing, like Brian mentioned, how complete his game is, how it's not just about offense and racking up points, but the responsibilities that come with monitoring all three zones, even in your own zone, it's part of the reason why Sidney Crosby is unarguably going to go down as a top five player in league history. So he may not have that individual accolade, that award, that piece of hardware that says, I was the best defensive forward in the NHL, but he is certainly deserving of that recognition for how his game has evolved since he came into the league as an 18-year-old. Question number seven comes from Brendan. My friend, who is a Montreal Canadiens fan, was talking about Allen. I believe that is Jake Allen, if I'm not mistaken, being moved. He has a cheap cap hit and could be good for about 30 to 35 games or more if need be. What do you think about him and someone like Jari, or I presume this is Aiden Hill, as the starter while trading away Casey DeSmith for, say, a fourth rounder? So, Robbie, we're looking at uh, shaking things up in net, which will be likely the biggest question this offseason. Would you be in favor of making uh, a trade like this? Yeah, I think Allen's the kind of guy you look at, especially if you're leaning toward bringing Tristan Jari back. I think Allen could be a very good... 1B to 1A, I mean, 30, 35 games, that takes a lot of the um, pressure off of uh, Tristan Jari. And again, he can kind of manage his injuries. And if Jari does go down with an injury, Allen is a proven starter. I mean, maybe not the, the best goalie ever, but he's been a number one guy in the NHL before. So uh, he's kind of mentored under Carey Price a little bit. Uh, manageable for what the Penguins are looking for cap hit wise. And I, yeah, I think if you're looking at, at that 
And again, he wouldn't be an expensive trade. Um, he would he he would become he would come at an affordable price in terms of uh, in terms of uh, what it would take to to acquire him. So I think overall, um, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I, it's tough to say exactly what the Penguins are going to do uh, with the goalie situation. Still, a lot of questions to be answered that will get answers um, in the next. I mean, two or three weeks here. Really, we'll find out what they're planning on doing. Uh, because the draft is uh, just about two weeks away at this point. So, yeah, Allen is definitely a guy to keep an, keep an eye on in Montreal. If they are looking to move him, I think he can be had for a uh, a nominal price. And the, the cost against the cap for what he gives you is uh, justifiable. So I, I do like the idea of Jake Allen um, as a possible uh, goaltender. Aiden Hill, I mean, who knows? I mean, Aiden Hill could very well... By the time this episode comes out, Aiden Hill could have a Conn Smythe to his name and a Stanley Cup. So um, we'll wait and see on that. But, I mean, Aiden Hill, you have to think Vegas is going to do whatever they can to keep him uh, in in the desert with how he's played this this playoff run. And, again, goaltending so voodoo, just because Hill's on this run now doesn't mean Hill will be on this run next season. So all that to consider. But when you're bringing up a name like – Jake Allen, I, I don't hate it. I really don't. Uh, question number eight from Brian. Uh, do you think management should look at a guy like Ivan Barbashev or Milan Lucic? The team lacked grit and toughness last season and got pushed around way too much. So this is, a, again, a common, uh, a common theme amongst Penguins fans is that they – need to be they need to have someone big and tough to push the opposition around. So looking at these two players, first and foremost, right off the bat, I'm going to say absolutely no to Milan Lucic. He is 35 years old. The kind of way that you if you play the 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 game in that style, hard-nosed, gritty, sandpaper, very physical, that's going to wear your body down as your career goes on. However, Ivan Barbashev is only 27 years old, and the 2022-23 season, he scored 16 goals, 29 assists for 45 points. Over his career, he scored 110 or 84 goals, 110 assists for 194 points in 433 games played. And uh, his career point share is 17.8. His 2022-23 point share was 3.5. Again, a point share is an estimate of the number of points that is contributed by a singular player. So Barbashev really had a very impressive year this year. Uh, looking at the looking at the season he had in 2022-23. So I believe he is an unrestricted free agent. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, his I could have swore Barbashev's name was brought up in trade rumors around the trade deadline time uh, for the Penguins. I don't know if that was a player that Ron Hextall at the time was considering acquiring, um, but it is some something that I do remember hearing, at least in circles on Twitter. But Barbashev is only 27 years old, so he's eight years younger than Milan Lucic, uh, six foot one, 195 pounds. So again, not the biggest guy in the world, but you don't have to be big in physical stature to be that gritty kind of player that a lot of teams and a lot of fans want to protect their stars, for lack of a better term. So uh, Barbashev seems like a guy playing the center position. He's a left-handed shot who can put the puck in the net and be a very reliable top nine 
uh, t- bottom six slash top nine forward. I would not be opposed at all if Kyle Dubas goes out in free agency, if, if Barbashev does not resign, to bring in a player like Barbashev. I, I would be very much on board with he would immediately improve that bottom six, especially that third line if he's placed there and give the team some youth, give the team some grit, give the team some scoring ability, combine all those things together, I would be very happy with that acquisition. Question number nine comes from Brian. Brian obviously wants to see Jordan Stahl back in Pittsburgh, but if that doesn't happen, maybe Dubas should try reacquiring Ryan O'Reilly as the Penguins' third-line center. Dubas brought him onto the Toronto Maple Leafs this past season, so why not do it again? Uh, Robbie, I would be in favor of this move as well if it could be done. However, I have a feeling that O'Reilly may be wanting to cash in if he hits the open market. What say you? Yeah, I mean, basically anything Ryan O'Reilly's, any deal Ryan O'Reilly signs now is probably going to, unless it's a one-year deal somewhere. I mean, he's looking at his last contract, at least last chance for a big contract. Um, he's not going to be cheap if he gets uh, a long-term deal, but maybe I mean maybe if you get two years and split up some of that cost, who knows? But um, I don't see Ryan O'Reilly in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jordan Stahl, I know we've talked about uh, plenty on the podcast here, and it really sounds like he plans to stay in Carolina again. Until all that's worked out, we really don't know for sure what uh, the plans are for the Hurricanes. But I mean, Dubas got O'Reilly for. Uh, a rental in Toronto, whether or not you can make that price work in Pittsburgh, I just don't see it. I I really don't. I'd love Ryan O'Reilly in Pittsburgh. I think he would be a great addition, but I I just think it's going to be too, too pricey. Um, Stahl. I mean, Hey, if it doesn't work out in Carolina, I think Stahl would definitely help this bottom six. Again, anybody that's better than Jeff Carter is helping the bottom six. So, um, whether it's Stahl or O'Reilly, I just don't. I I know O'Reilly's going to be his name probably going to be popping up uh, in Penguin circles, but I just think he'll uh, be a bit too expensive uh, for what uh, Dubas is willing to spend on that position. But um, hey, I guess y- y- you really do never know. And if Ryan O'Reilly thinks if he maybe had a good relationship with Dubas during his short time in Toronto, maybe he's willing to. Um, a wheel and deal a bit, but I mean, Ryan O'Reilly was looking at one of his last opportunities for a a multi-year contract in the NHL. So um, it kind of makes you think that maybe he'll um, hit that open market. And if I think he does, I think he's just going to be too expensive. Uh, question number 10, uh, sticking with Brian here. Uh, do you think Kyle Dubas sees the success Vegas is having and looks at them as a blueprint for how he'll go about constructing the team? Uh, four lines with depth down the middle and big mobile uh, uh, decor. I agree with the the four lines and depth down the middle. You already have that with Crosby and Malkin on line one and line two. Dubas's task is going to be, and he mentioned it, reconstructing that bottom six and really that third line because Jeff Carter can't be there anymore. Looking at the defensive aspect of this question, a big mobile decor I think those kinds of players are hard to come by, and it's pretty crazy that Vegas has fit all of those players, all of those big, physical, yet mobile defenders under their salary cap. Looking at their roster, Alec Martinez, six foot one, two hundred nine pounds. Braden McNabb, six foot four, two hundred sixteen pounds. 
Alex Petrangelo, six foot three, two hundred ten pounds. Shea Theodore, six foot two, hundred ninety five pounds. And uh, Zach Whitecloud, six foot two, two hundred eleven pounds. Those are some massive defensemen. And uh, recently on Pennsburg, I believe it was Hooks Orpik put out an article uh, after Dubas was officially unveiled as the president of Hockey Ops, looking at his time in Toronto and drafting some of the prospects to build up the Toronto prospect cupboard. And uh, Hooks had a bullet point at the bottom of his article looking specifically at the defenseman that Kyle Dubas drafted. Generally speaking, defensively, Toronto was compiling puck-moving defensemen, most notably out of the players that, out of the defensemen that he drafted in Toronto. Rasmus Sandin is perhaps the most recognizable name, and he is certainly a smooth-skating maybe undersized mobile defenseman who I believe was traded at this year's trade deadline. So uh, I think Dubas's qualities in forwards and defense may be aligned with maybe undersized smooth skating puck handlers rather than the big lumbering physical defensemen or forwards that, that a lot of teams would kill to have on their roster. So that's just what the data has been presented as, as is in his time in Toronto, generally taking flyers on guys who may be undersized, but can definitely move the puck. So I wouldn't be surprised if in his first draft in Pittsburgh, we see that philosophy come to play depending on who is available. Uh, again, we'll, we'll have to see, but, uh, it really is impressive to see how many big bodies Vegas has. And now there's just one win away from winning their first ever Stanley cup, which is crazy to say in its own right, because of how much success that Vegas has had out of the gate. Question number 11 also comes from Brian. Do you see the injuries and being on a new team in a new system as the main reason for Jeff Petrie's down year last year? Do you expect him to be better next season? Now having a full season to understand how Sullivan wants him to play. I mean, it's hard to ignore the injuries that Jeff Petrie had this year for certain. And I was really high on him when he came to Pittsburgh, and it, the first season just didn't work out. And, I mean, I think if you have a chance to move him, that's a big chunk of cap space. And he's not getting any younger, so it doesn't necessarily mean that just because he had one bad injury season, it'll get better next year. Unless that Dubas has a spot for him, and once what he brings, then I could see him definitely being back and playing in Sullivan's system. So, again, I don't necessarily – he's a veteran enough where uh, playing in a new system shouldn't have been uh, a huge hindrance. I could have seen a little stumble at the beginning of the season, but he was – I mean, he had good stretches, and injuries kind of took him off his game. And, hey, when you're that in and out of the lineup because you're rehabbing – uh, it can have a very big effect on what your um, available or what your abilities are um, when you are healthy on the ice. Because once you kind of hurt one time, you're probably uh, in a hockey season. It's really hard to get back to 100% without a full off season. So um, if Kyle Dubas decides to keep him, I think he he does find a spot in Mike Sullivan's um, system, and I think he still can be productive. I don't think he he is he's done. I don't think he's cooked, but I, with how much different this team's going to look uh, when they drop the puck in October, I could easily see uh, Jeff Petrie being one of the odd men out. Uh, question number 12 from Brian. 
Uh, reports out there are predicting that uh, Michkov, who's one of the um, high-ranking prospects in this year's NHL draft, uh, may fall out of the top 10. So if he's there at 14, do you keep the pick uh, and take him? I know with what's going on in the world with Russia and having to wait at least three years for him to come over, it's risk, uh, to say the least. So I don't know a lot about prospects in, in this year's draft, and I was talking to Brian about that on Twitter, but I do know of Matt Vemichkov and the talent that he has. And Brian sort of mentions all of the all of the issues at play here in his question. Looking at a very brief scouting report from Elite Prospects NHL Draft, draft Guide, Elite Prospects says that Michkov is a rare triple threat winger who has a consistent threat to find the back of the net. His puck skills are near at the top of the draft, owing to immense creativity, hip pocket handling, dexterous hands, and a never-say-die attitude. You may think that you have him, but most of the time you really don't. His ability to problem-solve his way out of defensive pressure is at a level all of its own. Mishkov creates plays on the ice that we can't even fathom with the benefit of a bird's-eye view. And if it wasn't for Connor Bedard, many scouts and analysts believe that Mishkov could have been the number one overall pick in this year's draft. That's how highly ranked that this young man is. However, uh, we have quite a situation on our hands with Mishkov. And as Brian mentions, he could fall out of the top ten. I, I, I really have no idea where Russian players... And Mishkov in general, because he's the highest profile Russian in this year's class, I have no idea where Russians are going to be taken because of the ongoing war in Ukraine. Uh, I'm looking, one, I have a quote here from one NHL scout. We have absolutely no idea if he'll ever actually come over, the scout said. I don't think any teams do. Do you really want to take that risk? Could you take that risk if you're Kyle Dubas and the Penguins and perhaps if if Michkov does come over, it likely won't be until 2026. And this article that I'm reading here goes on to compare this current situation in 2023 with Evgeny Malkin's contract dispute almost 20 years ago after Malkin was not able to get out of uh, Magnitogorsk in the while well, in the Russian Super League at the time. And it was a very, uh, very James Bond-esque kind of escape to get from Russia over to the United States. Uh, Michkov has a deal to play with SKA St. Petersburg until 2026. I don't think it's going to be impossible if you want to get him out of that deal. But again, the Russians are going to be very hesitant to let Michkov just walk over to North America when they have a prized homegrown asset that can help their league on their own turf. So, uh, whoever drafts him, if the Penguins draft him, if he falls to 14, on one hand, you get arguably the top two, the, the number two best player in the draft. On the second hand, do you wait out those three years for a player like Kirill Kaprizov, who came over for the Minnesota Wild and has turned into an immediate superstar? Do you play the long game with a guy like Michkov and say, this is what we're waiting for? And it's, it's very interesting because you look at the timeline the Penguins are on, if Michkov does fall to 14, let's say he stays in Russia for three years, plays out the duration of that contract with SK St. Petersburg, then he comes over to North America. Three years from now, when many are predicting that the Penguins are going to be out of that con contending championship window, everyone keeps saying, oh, it's not going to matter if this player or that player signs a five-year deal because the Penguins are going to be bad in five years anyway when Crosby and Malkin retire. 
this is very interesting as I started to think about if he does fall to 14, I think if I'm Dubas, I take that risk. Knowing that he's in Russia for the next three years, that's fine because you still have Crosby and Malkin here. You still want to be competitive in the short term. Long term, you could have a franchise-altering talent just you know, developing his game over in Russia until that contract expires. So I think I would be aggressive in taking that risk. If I was Dubas and Mishkov fell to me at 14, I would draft him, but I'm not. I would not be surprised if on draft night he falls, uh, because NHL teams just simply don't know what you're getting with Russian prospects these days because of the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and just all of these matters compounding on top of one another. But Michkov, from everything that I've read, everything that's been written about this young man says that he is a franchise-altering talent, much like Connor Bedard. So, me personally. I take that risk, uh, and I, I wait that three years out. He'd still be 20, 21, 22 by the time he comes over to North America, assuming everything goes swimmingly. And you can have, again, another franchise-altering player right there, assuming he lives up to that billing. So I take that risk. The more I thought about it, I said, no, nah, i probably stay away from the Russian prospects. But the more I thought about it, I said, if he falls to 14, if teams are afraid that he falls out of the top five or even the top 10 and he keeps falling, that would be the perfect, perfect way for Kyle Dubas to begin his first draft as president of hockey operations. Question number 13 comes from Brian. Robbie, what do you think of Dan Kovacevic saying that Tristan Jari is a top three goaltender when he's on his game? I wouldn't be mad about Tristan Jari coming back on a two-year deal as a 1B kind of player. I mean, top three, when you're looking at the NHL, I mean, off the top of your head, you're looking at, I mean, Igor Sturgeon, Andre Vasilevsky, and I mean, that third could rotate. I mean, uh, technically, I mean, really, all three of those guys could rotate, but I really don't think that uh, Tristan Jari's in that conversation uh, right now, at least. And again, he's shown flashes. When healthy, it just the health is such an important part of being one of those top three goalies uh, in the NHL. So, again, two year deal at the right price for a 1A, 1B situation. I think that's a deal you make if you're Kyle Dubas, especially since the goaltending one is hard to acquire uh, via trade. Two, the free agent pool uh, is not great. And three, you do have a known commodity in Jari and a guy that's going to want to prove himself. So I, I top three in the league can't really get on with that sentiment, but I don't think that bringing him back at the right price um, on a one or two year deal is any way catastrophic. So um, yeah, I'm going to, I'll take a pass on the top three, especially when you look at the top goaltenders in the NHL uh, until proven otherwise, Jari is not in that class. But, hey, if you get the opportunity to bring him back and give him a chance to prove himself, I'd be more than happy if he was playing for three, four million next year and turned out to be a top three goaltender in the NHL because that would be one of the best bargain contracts uh, in the league. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I on a, a 1B1A situation, all for it. Uh, again, Brian here with question number 14. Uh, what did your dream offseason look like? For me, it's to buy out Granlund, uh, add Connor Hellebuck or UC Saros, Tyler Bertuzzi, George Saul, and Noah Hannafin or Matt Grolzik, uh, bringing back Jason Zucker's up there too. 
a lot of transactions here for Brian's dream offseason. And uh, I think, I don't know, I live in reality. I don't live in dreams uh, as dramatic as I just made that out to be. But buying out Gramlin is my number one top priority to add to the 20 million ish salary cap dollars that you have. I think buying out Granlin would give the Penguins an extra four million in salary cap room. Uh, adding Hellebuck or Soros, yeah, ideally, if it's not Tristan Jari on a bridge deal, ideally, I'd like to have uh, a Hellebuck or Soros. But I think the price is going to be too high to acquire either of those guys, and there's going to be multiple suitors for their services. Tyler Bertuzzi is that is a big, physical, gritty winger who would fit perfectly in the top six or perhaps the top nine. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Jordan Stahl, how Brian and I have been on the Jordan Stahl train, I think he would be a tremendous upgrade in that bottom six. Grizzlick and Hannafin, again, looking at uh, upgrading defense, and we already mentioned earlier Ryan Graves as well to replace Brian Dumoulin. Uh, I don't have too many... I don't have too many wishes. I, I I want the Penguins to buy out Mikel Granlin, but I'm not setting my expectations up for much of anything. I trust Kyle Dubas to do what he set out to do in Toronto, except doing it now here in Pittsburgh. I believe in Dubas's vision, his grand plan to try and rebuild this bottom six, rebuild this team back into contention and back into a playoff spot, back into potentially competing for championships. Uh, and I'm not going to blindly praise Dubas for all of the deals that he makes or all of the players that he signs, but his overall body of work in Toronto leaves me very excited. So I am keeping my expectations in check. I'm not asking for any one player or any one trade. However, the one thing that I do want to happen, like I mentioned, and all signs point to it being the most likely scenario is a potential buyout of Mikel Granlin. That would be the one thing that I want this offseason. Even if Jeff Carter is still on this team, buying out Mikel Granlin and getting that salary cap space, that is the big thing that I want this offseason. Question number 15, also from Brian. The Senators recently announced that they are exploring all options for uh, prized forward Alex DeBrinket. Robbie, what would the Penguins have to trade for a player like Alex DeBrinket? Could he be a possible Jason Zucker replacement? I think if you're um, trying to say, if you're uh, Kyle Dubas, I think everything's on the table. And you just kind of look at what options are out there to bring, again, big names like that aren't going to be easy to acquire, especially with limited um, assets to trade. But, I mean, you're you know there's changes coming. And... Kyle Dubas, he wants to put kind of form the team and organization in his uh, vision. So uh, to bring it, I mean, to bring it would be a very great addition to the Penguins. And obviously that would probably make Jason Zucker expendable. Uh, The question would be, what is Ottawa looking for? And um, it it all depends on what you're, what Kyle Dubas wants to do with that first overall drafting. And we'll find out here. In the coming in the coming weeks, I mean, we're rapidly approaching the uh, the start of the off, the full off season uh, for the NHL. We have the final can go no longer than I believe 
game five Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, I think, maybe Saturday. I don't know exactly. Um, so, I mean, as soon as that happens, everything's going to kick into gear. So, um, by the time you're listening to this episode, we could be in full off-season mode for the NHL, or um, by the time you listen next Monday, uh, it seems like we'll definitely be there. So, I think overall, uh, if Debrink is available, hey, you kick the tires on anything. I'm not anti – nothing hurts uh, to pick up a phone and uh, give a call up to Ottawa, see what uh, they're looking for, if he's even on the market. So, yeah, I think Kyle Dubas is going to be plenty busy if he's not already busy enough. Um, and if to bring it, if the price is right, I think he'd be an excellent addition to the Penguins. Uh, question number 16. Uh, again, we got Brian here. Uh, do you see a situation next season – where Kyle Dubas tells Mike Sullivan that Carter <coughs> is more reliability than an asset and wants him healthy scratched. I think there's a mutual respect between Kyle Dubas and Mike Sullivan. Um, Dubas said as much in his opening press conference that he certainly respects Mike Sullivan, give, gave him his seal of approval, called Sullivan one of the best coaches in the league and said he could coach forever. I don't know how hands-on Kyle Dubas is going to be with the lineup decisions. Uh, I don't think he's going to go to Mike Sullivan and say, you can't play this player. I don't want you to play this player. I could be wrong. That doesn't seem like the kind of person or the kind of vibe that Dubas gave off. I think he's going to let the coaches do their thing while he does his thing and handles the executive slash personnel decisions of constructing the roster. So looking at Jeff Carter. He has one year left. This is the last year of his deal. Ideally, this is probably his last year in Pittsburgh, maybe his last year in the NHL. In a perfect world, Jeff Carter plays on the fourth line and he's on the right wing, not taking center responsibilities. And the argument will be made that you're paying him too much money for that role on the fourth line as a fourth line right wing. The Penguins are in the situation they're in because of the decisions of previous regimes and you can't really do much. You could buy out Jeff Carter. Sure, you could. You could buy out Jeff Carter and and be on your merry way without Mikhail Granlin and Jeff Carter. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think Jeff Carter is going to be on this team next year for better or for worse. And in a perfect world, that's where Jeff Carter is going to be. I imagine Jeff Carter is going to play next season. And again, I, I think Dubas is going to be hands-off in that regard. He has respect for Mike Sullivan. Sullivan obviously has won two championships here in Pittsburgh. He knows a thing or two about coaching. Yes, some of Sullivan's decisions as the season went on were head-scratching, icing players like Dumoulin and Jeff Carter in key situations late in game that I did not personally agree with. And he did it multiple times throughout the season as well. But I don't think Dubas is going to be that invasive to go to Mike Sullivan face-to-face and say, do not play this player. Question number 17 comes from Brian. Colby Armstrong and Matt Murley were talking on their podcast about some rule changes the Champions League is making, which is a European soccer tournament. Well, UEFA, anyway, it's the European soccer tournament. And wanted to see if if the NHL would adopt any of these potential rule changes. The first rule change is once you take a penalty, the team takes the full two minutes and you can score as much as you want, almost like a five-minute major. That five-minute major uh, ticks down for five minutes. You can score as many power play goals as you want. 
If you score on the delayed penalty, you still get to go on the power play. And the last rule change is if a shorthanded team scores, that penalty ends. So, Robbie, looking at this question, even though it's yours, this would be an interesting way to boost offense if you were looking to boost offense around the NHL. But do you like these hypothetical rule changes regarding power plays and penalty kills? I'm a no on the first uh, proposal, the basically full two-minute power play. Uh, I'm, I'm anti that uh, that proposal. Uh, just not really necessarily a fan of that one. As for the delay of game one, I, I think it would definitely put onus on both teams, one for the penalized team to – uh, touch the puck, and it would definitely make for some more excitement if you were the benefiting team uh, to maybe even basically set up a bonus power play. Uh, get you, you'd have to pull the goalie off still, so you still have to do all that. But you would kind of settle back and try to um, get that six guy on the ice and see if you can get a zone entry and set something up. And if you score, uh, you still end up getting the penalty on the other end because – I mean, when you score a delay on a delayed penalty, like what if you score within like five seconds? Like, there's no way that guy's getting on the ice in time until uh, the goalie gets off and the player gets on, regardless of where he is. It's going to take too much time. Um, you kind of just, and if you score, it's still technically five on. You'd still like a five on five, so. I would be in. I'd be in, um, in support of still giving them the penalty, um, when uh, if you score with the delayed penalty, I'd still be in favor of the power play being on the board and getting that advantage. Um, I've long been an advocate of the shorthanded uh, kills a penalty automatically. Um, though I guess it's like a double reward if you score. Uh, uh, shorthanded. I mean, you one, you get the goal, and you kill off the, the rest of the penalty. Long, long been an advocate for that. Um, but if I had to rank these three proposals, my top proposal would be the still getting the power play after scoring on a delayed penalty. Number two would be the penalty ending if you score a shorthanded goal, and my third and a distant third would be the um, unlimited two-minute uh, power play. I just think it's. A five-minute, completely understand um, why that one's a major penalty. You Five minutes, you, you should be on the penalty kill for all five minutes. But a two-minute minor for something as stupid as putting the puck over the glass, I, I don't think that's really um, uh, fair for uh, the offending team uh, if they give up a goal already that they have to stay on the kill. Question number, it's the 18 here from Brian again. Uh, Dejan uh, Kovacevic uh, talked about Drew O'Connor on his podcast this week, saying that he needs to be given a chance, a chance in a top six role next season. Uh, stated how well he played in Finland at the World Championships. The talent is there uh, to possibly develop into a top six role. Just needs to be given a chance. So let's talk about the uh, the World Championship performance that Drew O'Connor had this year. In 10 games played, he had three goals, five assists, eight points, zero penalty minutes. 
And throughout the 2022-23 season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he played in 46 games, 5 goals, 6 assists, 11 points. Robbie, if I'm not mistaken, you were the one to write up Drew O'Connor's season review over at Pensburg.com just a couple of days ago. And a lot of what you wrote in that season review, as I went back to look through it, is the same line of thinking that I have. I think Drew O'Connor is best served in a bottom six role. Everyone wants Drew O'Connor to be promoted into the top six. And I get it. You have you have a cheap guy, you have a young guy, a young winger, who in short spurts has looked like a very promising NHL player. And everyone is always quick to say, well, he just needs to be given a chance. Looking at the world championship, sure, it was absolutely impressive. But one could play devil's advocate and say, wow, it was an impressive performance by O'Connor. Could you also make the argument and say that the level of competition that O'Connor was playing with and against, a lot of those guys playing in that tournament were not your elite NHL superstar players. That's not a discredit to O'Connor or anyone else in that tournament who participated there. You are NHL regulars and you deservedly are playing some of the most elite leagues across the, the, the across the globe. But would Drew O'Connor be putting up those same point totals on a regular basis, competing on line one or line two against other teams' best forwards and best defensive pairings? I don't think so. Robbie, you said in your season review that what you see is what you get with Drew O'Connor. He was a fourth-line guy who was signed as a college free agent, and you can't really ask for much more. Now, like you also said, Robbie, compared to some of his bottom six teammates, O'Connor was obviously the, the much better player when looking at a guy like Danton Heinen or Jeff Carter, and uh, that I agree with. But I think Drew O'Connor is best served in in that depth role where he can thrive and the pressure isn't really on him to score a bunch of goals. Let's say he is a Jason Zucker replacement for next season. The pressure is going to be on him if he gets slotted alongside of Guinea Malkin and goes 10, 15, 20 games without a goal. Uh, Jason Zucker was putting him in the back of the net this season, seems like every time he stepped out on the ice. I just don't see that with Drew O'Connor. I see a depth player, a good, effective, cheap, young depth player. And it's okay to have that as your ceiling. Not every young player has to be elevated into the top six to see what kind of skill they have alongside and Evgeny Malkin or uh, Sidney Crosby. So while I think the talent is absolutely there, I think he's best served in the bottom six to help round out the rest of that depth. Question number 19. Here's a fun hypothetical from Brian. Say in 2005, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, and Connor Bedard were all drafted in the same year in the same draft class. Robbie, which of the three would you draft as the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins with the number one overall pick? Uh, I mean, bias-wise, obviously I'm going to say Crosby. Uh, Man, McDavid is just so good, too. Bedard, we haven't seen at the NHL level yet. Obviously, looks like he has all the tools of the trade to be a great. But until I've seen him at the NHL level, I'm going to kind of put him off to the side. Man, I mean, I mean, I got to say, Sid, I'm biased. I'm sorry. Uh, It's got to be Sid. I mean, McDavid would be a dream, obviously. Like, and if it came to like, if somebody else picked Sid, I'd be completely happy with McDavid. 
But I mean, I've just, I mean, what we're going on year what nineteen now of watching Sid play, and it just hasn't gotten old at all. And uh, I mean, it's Crosby. It's always going to be Crosby. Um, McDavid is going to put up just insanely gaudy numbers by the time he retires. But I mean, it's Sid. It's always been Sid. Um, it, it, yeah, it's just he's my number one overall pick. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, bias, whatever, don't care. It's said always. Uh, question number 20 from uh, switching it up now, we're going to Greg A. I believe Greg has asked questions before, but um, getting into this question now, would you rather buy out Mikel Granlin or trade him along with a third round pick? Buy out, easy, no questions asked. I'm done. I don't want to trade players away with a sweetener draft pick to take the contract. Uh, I'm, I'm done giving up assets to move bad contracts. A buyout is quick and easy. Yeah, you're stuck with that dead cap for a few seasons. But at that point, I'd rather take that, take the dead cap hit instead of giving away a draft pick. Take the draft pick and maybe it develops into a Brian Rust or a Jake Gensel Hypothetically, if it was a third-round pick, maybe you strike gold there. Odds are you don't. But I'm done giving up assets to move bad contracts. That's not how I would operate as a general manager. I would just trigger the buyout, say thanks for your service as a member of this organization, good luck in your future endeavors, and that would be that. Question 21 comes again from Greg A. What do you think Drew O'Connor would get in arbitration, potentially two years, maybe $1 million per year? I think that projection is probably ballparking exactly what a guy like O'Connor is going to get. You're not going to break the bank for him. Uh, if you can get a deal done without going to arbitration, uh, good with that too. But I think that that is the, the ballpark of where we're looking at for Drew O'Connor. Um, it, it's, it's a slight increase from what he earned this year. Um, but again, the idea is obviously next year that he's going to be uh, an NHL regular. So the bump in, a bump in earnings is well deserved. He had it when he was on the ice this year, mostly in the second half of the year. Um, he did perform well. The scoring wasn't quite there, but uh, you mentioned earlier how the World Championships weren't exactly uh, a gauntlet of opposition uh, for him to go against, and obviously true. And he's going to play much tougher competition in the NHL. But hey, maybe that gives him some uh, confidence heading into next year with his scoring. I'm not saying he's going to be a point per game player or anything, but. Uh, even his stats last year projected to be him like uh, a 25 point player right, right around like uh, 10, 12 goals and 15, 20 assists. So in that 25 to uh, 30 point uh, window, which for a bottom six guy making what he was um, is more than acceptable. And that's something you'd love to see. And uh, even at 1 million a year, those kind of numbers uh, would be great. So I think he's definitely going to fall in. Um, in that window somewhere um, to a two, three-year contract around one, 1.25, uh, 1.5 million per season. Uh, question number 22, there's no name on this one. Uh, the mystery uh, question asker, um, reveal yourself before next week's episode. Uh, do you predict any following, any of the following bottom six unrestricted free agents will return? Those being Josh Archibald, Nick Benino, uh, and Danton Heinen. Um, mysterious question asker says, I think all of them could be had 
for around one million dollars. I, I can put the mystery to bed and say this question belongs to Greg A. Uh, ah. That is my mistake for as I was copying and pasting, I must have uh, erased Greg's name. But this is Greg's question, so the mystery has been solved. Looking at some of the unrestricted free agents, I think all three of these guys that you mentioned, I agree, they could be had for one million, or I think even less than one million. But I will say that none of these three return. I think Archibald, you can find a player like him who is primarily your 13th forward, ideally an, a top AHL forward. You can find those kinds of NHL players. They're a dime a dozen. Uh, Nick Bonino, thanks for the memories. It really did not work out here the second go-around with, uh, I think it was the the spleen injury he had or some sort of... Uh, kidney, I think. Kidney? Yeah, I knew it was some sort of uh, midsection injury that basically kept him out for an extended period of time. Danton Heinen, I was not impressed in his second go-around with Pittsburgh. He probably played himself out of Pittsburgh and not in the best way. All three of these guys were rather ineffective in the roles that they were put in. They were Ron Hextall acquisitions. I think all three of these players are going to hit the open market and perhaps be playing in different organizations come start of the 2023-24 season. Question 23. Okay, so this was originally where the original cutoff was. We have a couple of extra questions from uh, from Snail that we are obviously going to get to. This is where the, the, the end of the podcast was going to be with Brian's last two questions here because this is a food question. And if, <laughs> you, if you've been listening to the last couple of weeks of episodes, mailbag episodes, we I have given Brian the responsibility to ask a weekly food-related question. This week he's back, Robbie, uh, and for a question for you, what is the best type of bread? Brian is a sucker for a good sourdough, but a baguette is up there for him as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say sourdough too. Uh, for eating bread, uh, if I'm making a sandwich... I, I do like a, a good Italian or um, I even like I do be in the mood for it more than not, but a good rye, uh, especially a Jewish rye. Uh, but if I'm taking off a slice to eat with dinner, man, it's tough to beat a really good sourdough. So I'm going to agree with Brian on that. Uh, the baguette, I agree with as well, especially if you give me some oil uh, to dip it in. So sourdough with a, a nice layer of butter or baguette with some uh, olive oil to dip it in. I can't really go wrong there, but if I'm being honest, man, I just like bread. Um, in general, I like carbs. That includes For, pasta. Frame that quote. Frame that yeah. quote, Robbie. I like bread. That's going to be I, the official slogan of, of of the Pence cast. I like bread. Uh, that just put that on a shirt. Let me call up a Pittsburgh Clothing Company. I'll just get that put on a shirt. I like bread. We'll sell it on, on the website or something. But I mean, yeah, any bread, I, I'm willing to try. I'm not necessarily necessarily a fan. I like a good pumpernickel. If we're uh, if you got some dip with it, bread is just a very a very very good uh, a good way to fill yourself up, and um, there's so many different ways to do it to uh, make bread, which is uh, truly a blessing. God has given us so many different bread recipes uh, to choose from, and but if I'm if I'm if you give me a choice, if you lay them all out, a good sourdough is probably where I'm going to lean uh, to start. But I do like a good Italian bread too. Uh, and baguettes. Uh, baguettes are just fun. I mean, who doesn't like a big long stick of bread? Question number 24. Uh, still almost there, guys. Almost there. Uh, this is from Brian. Uh, would you ever consider expanding the skating Peng penguin network 
uh, and having a scouting slash prospect podcast. This was kind of what I alluded to earlier. Brian and I, when Brian submitted this question, I saw, and I responded from my personal account saying that I do have a couple of things up my sleeve for the future of the Skating Penguin Network. And expansion, I guess this is where that would fall under expansion talk. As I sound like uh, an NHL executive talking about adding another franchise here, but I am all for the idea of expansion. Uh, I personally don't know enough about the scouting NHL scouting slash prospects to give you reliable weekly or, you know, semi daily content about prospects throughout the season. And I told Brian this for everyone else listening, if the right person comes along and wants to join us, uh, all you have to do is send me a DM on Twitter or send Robbie a DM on Twitter. Uh, ideally you have prior podcasting experience and you'd like to lend some of your talents to the skating penguin network and perhaps talk about the Wilkes-Barre Scranton penguins or some of the penguins prospects that they have in their system as the season goes along. I will say if, if this is, if this is the calling card or the, the official plea from me that there is a financial component involved with the podcasts that we create. And, uh, and that kind of ties into what I'm going to be bringing up next is one of the things that I was recently talking to Robbie about is starting video podcasts and putting videos up on a YouTube channel, because I, I really think we have grown an audience and perhaps we have an untapped audience on a platform like YouTube where Robbie and I can film and record these podcasts that we do and give them to you in video form as well as audio form. And that's going to be something that I'm going to be talking about with some of my bosses uh, coming up in the next couple of days, perhaps weeks. Uh, it won't be immediate and uh, I'll have to see how, how things go. But that would be one of the things that I'd like to do. Sure, yeah, I'd love to expand and bring more people on that have uh, that want to lend their insights and help grow the Skating Penguin Network and Fans First Sports Network. I would absolutely love to do that. And I genuinely believe that if we started a, a YouTube channel, you know, Hockey YouTube is a pretty niche uh, space. Not a lot of not a lot of uh, players in that market. The two biggest hockey YouTubers I know are Steve Dangle and the Hockey Guy. Both of those, both of those fine gentlemen create incredible video content. Steve Dangle, obviously focusing primarily on the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Hockey Guy, basically being an NHL-centric YouTube channel. I think we could tap into something like that with a hyper focus on the Pittsburgh Penguins and the rest of the NHL. So that's a, a long-winded answer to say. Expansion is <laughs> on the horizon. Robbie, am, am I missing something? No, just the way that you, the way that you said, long-winded way of explaining. Yeah, you're basically a long-winded way of saying yes. Just yes. the way you phrase, just the way you phrased that was just made me laugh. Just I the, mean, it went, you, you gave that whole that whole speech, and you just that's a long-winded way of saying yeah, we're planning on expanding. Yeah, so BTE dub. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know we're we're at question twenty-four now. We're about to be on question twenty-five. The last three we're questions. Delirious. It's six. It's it, almost it, quarter to seven on the East Coast. It's, yes. It's a little, 
yeah, it's the biggest mailbag we've ever done. It's just like we still have three more questions to go. So yes. just like, oh my gosh. So yeah, we but, we're, we're gonna yeah. be we're gonna be wrapping up here as Robbie starts to lose control of himself. And yeah. admittedly, for me, this is this is not going to be fun to edit afterwards. But I do it because, well, number one, I like to do it. Number two, they give me money to do it, and that's, that's a pretty true. that's a pretty yeah. good incentive to do things if they that give you a money. Good so, all right. Yes, we're probably going to be expanding in the not-so-distant future, and I'll leave it at that. And any new information will come from us here at the Skating Penguin Network. All right. We're in the bottom of the ninth here. Uh, we, we needed to get through the next three outs to get the save and win the game here. Question number 25 comes from Snail. Would you give up Chris Letang and a first-round pick plus more draft picks? And then Snail just says, actually, let's just say it's a lot of assets for including Latang for Eric Carlson. So Robbie, w- would you make that trade to acquire Eric Carlson? I would not. Uh, Eric Carlson's a great story this year, a historic season. I don't see any way he doesn't win the Norris Trophy, and he'd be well deserving uh, to do so. Again, he'd be in the he'd be the prime candidate for that uh, offensive scoring uh, or defensive scoring trophy award that was asked a couple of weeks ago on the podcast but overall uh no i wouldn't again Lutang is a pittsburgher for life i eric carlson i mean he's not as old as chris Lutang, but he's not young either i i again i don't see him necessarily replicating what he did this season Lutang, you have to think he's gonna rebound after what was just i mean the between the stroke and his father dying it's no wonder he had some ups and downs this year. And no, I'm not giving up a first round draft pick for uh, a guy at, at, at the age of Carlson. And it doesn't really necessarily fill a need because you're really just, if you're going, if you look at it as the tang for Carlson, you're not really, I don't think that the, the upgrade between those two isn't nearly enough to justify giving up a bunch more assets for a guy that's aging on an expensive contract when Latang is completely fine in that role. And that first and other draft picks slash assets could be used for goaltending, bottom six, Zucker replacement, all that. So that is not a deal uh, that I'm making. Um, again, the list of untouchables on the Penguins team, I think, is very short. But Chris Latang is one of them, along with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. I'm holding tight on that. That is a no-go for me. Question 26, uh, again from Snail. Um, if you, it's all, okay, so he says it's odd living in Seattle and seeing the Kraken take this, take shape with the wild amount of connections to the Penguins. Um, call them Pittsburgh West if you want. Ron Francis, Jason Botterill, Brandon Tanev, Daniel Sprong, Jared McCann, Jamie Alexiak, uh, Justin Schultz, and Dan Bilesma is coaching uh, the AHL team, which I believe is in the um, Calder Cup final. Who are three members that you would take back in Pittsburgh? Jason Botterill for his uh, his great attention to detail when it came to the salary cap. I think he would be a tremendous asset on this new progressive staff with Kyle Dubas. Uh, Jared McCann, because the way that he left Pittsburgh and then subsequently left Toronto, that was an oopsie-daisy by Kyle Dubas in Toronto as well, basically letting him go to Seattle after he somehow got out of Pittsburgh. So Jason Broderill, Jared McCann, 
And I'll take Brandon. Tan- I'll take Brandon Tanev. Uh, yeah, I was kind of going to say the same three. Yeah, I mean Daniel Sprong would be nice. It looks like he's sort of found himself. He's finally found some stability and consistency in his game. But Brandon Tanev would be a tremendous re-addition to this bottom six, looking at how bad it was last year. So yeah, I'll I'll say Jason Botterill, Brandon Tanev, and Jared McCann. Boy, how great would it be! to have Jared McCann, 40-goal scorer Jared McCann back in Pittsburgh. Oh, my goodness. How, how do you let those things happen? Yeah, I try not to think about it. Yeah, me too. All right. It's getting close to Robbie's bedtime. Uh, it it's is not that old. Well, uh, I didn't eat dinner yet. I'm, I'm more hungry than anything. Oh, me too, man. I have dinner on my counter downstairs. Anywho, question 27. The last question of this week's mailbag comes from Snail. And we're talking about Bam Margera. And yeah, Jack ever had that name, yeah. What was it like for you guys, me and Robbie, growing up in Pennsylvania during the Bam Margera CKY Jackass era, with Bam being located in your backyards? Snail was heavily influenced, like many of his peers who grew up in that time. Was the mania bigger being in the same state as Margera and company? So, I mean, Garrett, you're probably a little young for yeah. like the prime Jackass. Yeah. Uh, era uh, when it was like on MTV and stuff like that. Um, it was more when I was growing up. But okay, so Bam and all those guys are from Eastern Pennsylvania. They're from right outside of Philly, uh, like um, I Bucks County, somewhere in that area. Um, we are on the western side of the state, so we. I mean, there's same state, but wildly different kind of uh, cultures between the two sides of the state. Uh, so we didn't really grow up with them within our backyard, but Bam and all them, once they became famous, for the people out east, that was like a really big thing. And not all of them for, from out there, but Bam was the big one. Uh, he had his own show on on MTV. Uh, I believe yeah, it was MTV uh, as well. And like out there, I think it was much bigger than um, over this side of the state. Now, again, we knew they were from Pennsylvania all that stuff. There was that kind of uh, side of it, but the, from cultural, uh, cultural standpoint, much more of an Eastern Pennsylvania thing um, to grow up with. And again, I mean, everybody knew what Jackass was. Uh, basically uh, you had the movies, you had the show, Johnny Knoxville, you had, yeah, you had um, all those, all those names that you man Bam was in there. Ryan Dunn was in there, but it's more of an Eastern PA thing uh, than a Western PA thing. It just kind of shows the divide. And again, it depends on like how your parents felt about uh, what you watched on TV and stuff. Jackass uh, definitely pushed the envelope uh, in terms of what was on TV. Most people have seen at least one of the films somewhere along the line. Uh, you've run into it or even you've seen enough clips on YouTube or social media. You get the, you get the gist and the gist is not very complicated. If you're like me, I think it's freaking hilarious. Um, mostly because I enjoy videos of people doing dumb stuff that it, that I would never do. I mean, overall, that's much more of a Eastern PA thing than a Western PA thing uh, in terms of, I guess, being influenced by Bam and those guys. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Jackass. I think everybody, especially my age growing up, was influenced by Jackass in some way, even if it was out in the yard doing stuff that eh, wasn't dangerous but 
you may have got a bumper bruise here or there, Garrett. You're a little bit younger, but I mean, you you're online. You know what YouTube is. You have seen. You know what Jackass is. I mean, you, you've seen clips. You may have even seen uh, some of the movies. So uh, you get the whole gist of what's going on. But it's definitely more of an East West uh, thing. And out east, the Bam uh, Margera thing from out there was much bigger than it was here. I don't think. Bam Margera is doing too well these days. Yeah, he wasn't in the last Jackass movie. Um, there's been a falling out. He I he got into uh, I don't know if it's just drinking and drug or what the whole story is, but he's definitely because um, I believe he was in re- or uh, yeah remission. Uh, he was uh, recovering um, and he um, fell off the wagon. He relapsed and there was some yeah harsh feelings around the last movie. He said that. He wasn't invited uh, to be a part of it. And some of the guys that were are still involved with the Jackass crew pretty much said that, hey, you were given the choice to kind of clean up and get back and uh, get back with us. But you never took the initiative to do that. And we didn't feel it was right. And it was yeah, a whole bunch of uh, stuff going on there between all them. But, yeah, I don't believe um, Bam is in in the best place right now, which is unfortunate. So, Robbie, as uh, as I sit here and as we conclude this episode of The Mailbag, uh, I'm looking at the timer right now. We've been recording for one hour and 17 minutes. Do you want to fill more dead air for like the next 13 minutes and make it an even 90? I'm kidding, of course, because yeah. my yeah, dinner... I'm going to pass on that. Maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe once hockey season get here, we'll try to hit a, we'll hit a 90-minute one if something crazy happens. Uh, this off season or in a preview episode or something, but uh, for right now, I'm I'm feeling food. I am feeling food as well. I need to go get dinner in me, and then I will edit this podcast. But holy moly, uh, that t- that took a lot longer than I anticipated it would. Uh, Twenty seven questions. You do not see that every day. Uh, to everyone who asked a question this week, uh, thank you so much. Uh, for for doing that and making what is probably the longest podcast that I've ever recorded and that Robbie's ever recorded, even when we were branded as the Pensburg podcast. Uh, I don't know if we ever did something to this extent, but uh, this one will surely go down in the history books, and I'm ready to go get some food. So uh, for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahana. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.